Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, we're in verses 11 through 19 this week. And uh, this passage was picked for me. So, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. Thus ends the reading of God's word. May the grass wither and the flowers fade, but his word live forever. Amen? Amen. So about 10 or 15 years ago, I was preaching a sermon, a passage from 1 Timothy 6 on the passage that tells the rich of this world to be generous and humble and not to put our hopes in riches which fade so easily. So I thought it'd be a fun exercise that week as I was preparing. I walked around and every person I encountered that week, I just asked them a simple question. Are you rich? And everyone I talked to said, no. Nobody said yes. I was really shocked. Well, there were a couple people. They said, well, I'm, I'm rich in blessings, pastor. Well, that wasn't what I was looking for. Either no one considered themselves rich or nobody would admit it. I don't know why. So on Sunday morning that week, I got up to preach my sermon. I told them what I'd been doing and I told them that since there were no rich people in the congregation, that that passage really wasn't for us and that nobody had to listen. And that's exactly how I felt when I got assigned this passage for this week back in January. I looked at it and I thought, leprosy, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't think anybody here has leprosy. I don't know anybody personally who has leprosy, unless maybe it's the heartbreak of psoriasis, or, or, or it could be like the chronic eczema that I have in my lower legs that I have to put lotion on that I can't seem to get rid of. Leprosy is just some nasty pictures from India and China and Asia in a National Geographic magazine or on the web on Wikipedia. What's that got to do with us? Well, maybe nothing. Maybe we should just all go home. Or, or, or somebody will spiritualize the whole thing and they'll say, well, pastor, I have leprosy of the heart. And, or, or, or maybe, maybe just, maybe there's a couple gold nuggets of gospel truth in here somewhere. Maybe we can find them. Let's see if we can. I have three things I wanted to show you this morning from this short passage. Three things about the gospel. Point number one. Very simple. The problem is leprosy. 
if you want to know anything about leprosy in the Bible, if you want an exhaustive research subject, you have to turn to Leviticus 13, one of those places where you do your regular devotions, and, and you read 59 detailed verses about various skin disorders. It will either make you a hypochondriac and you'll head off to the dermatologist to make sure you're okay, or it'll make you a little squeamish as you read about all the swellings and the white hair and the red hair and the black hair, and you just kind of, ooh, or it'll make you nod off a little bit because of the details. But the details are important, just not always exciting. So I thought we'd read a little bit. Leviticus 13, verse 1 to 3. Here it goes. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot that turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then, then he shall be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of the sons of the priest, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on his body. It is a case of, uh, and if the hair in the diseased area has turned white, and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it's a case of leprous disease. And when the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. Now that's enough. In these three verses, we, we learn some couple important things. First of all, leprosy is a catch-all term in the Bible for various infectious skin problems. It's kind of like the modern word cancer for us, which can stand for any hundred different tumorous infections that can be found in your body. Leprosy is not one specific disease. There are at least seven different conditions of leprosy that are, are found in Leviticus 13. What we think about and what we talk about when we talk about leprosy is, is called Hansen's disease, which is caused by a slow-growing bacterial infection. That, that bacteria was first discovered by a Norwegian doctor named Hansen back in 1873. The disease itself has been around for about 6,000 years, uh, mostly in Africa, India, and China. The bad news is, is that it's really nasty and ugly and often painful and disfiguring. The good news is, is that it's not really very contagious. And there are excellent modern treatments. That, that's a good thing. The second thing we learned from Leviticus 13 is that the Hebrew priests served uh, Israel as community health watchers who, who were concerned about both the health of individuals and the health of the worshiping community. Because you see, in order to approach God and worship in the old covenant, it, someone has to be ceremonially and ritually clean. It, it, and so it was the priest's job to ensure that the community lived up to these standards. Here's that directive from God right here in Leviticus chapter 10. You are speaking to the Aaronic priest. God says, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes, all the rules, all the precepts that Jehovah has spoken to them by Moses. So in this passage, we learn that there is a difference between that which is holy and set apart for worship and that which is common and not appropriate for worship. For example, music, 
Many of you love music. Music is common. It's neither holy nor unholy. What makes it holy if it's set apart for worship? Music not meant for worship is not unclean. It's not sinful. It's simply common. Uh, the difference, however, between clean and unclean is whether something that is potentially holy and meant for worship is ritually clean and appropriate for God's people. Did you get that? The priest's job is to make sure Israel understands those differences. So for food, the difference between clean and unclean is usually permanent. For example, sheep are clean and can be offered to God in worship, whereas pigs are always unclean, not appropriate for worship, and not appropriate in the old covenant for eating. So for people, the difference between unclean and clean is usually temporary. God's people are usually clean and appropriate for worship. That's good news. But if you touch a dead animal carcass in the field or a dead body or something unclean in the old covenant, people became unclean either for a day or a week or, or, or until they'd made the appropriate sin and burnt offering. You following this? This is all very good stuff. Sex, here this is important to know, sex makes you clean, unclean for a day. And you have to bathe to be clean again. Ha having a period makes you unclean for seven days, but you already know that. And having a, a baby makes you unclean for 30 or 60 days, depending on whether you have a boy or a girl. So there's all these there's a bunch of very specific rules in the Old Testament Israel, and the priests were supposed to teach the rules and monitor the community because God's people are a worshiping community who are to remain clean and holy because God is holy and he's to be treated as holy. So all this was vitally important in a worshiping community. So for leprosy, there were specific rules about quarantine. After their people are inspected, then if they're unclean, they're supposed to be quarantined for seven days. And then there's follow-up visits. And then there's no, there's no MRIs. But they were supposed to look and make sure that the person gets clean or, or gets worse and so on. So you can read all about it in Leviticus 13 before your community group meeting this afternoon. Now, here's some good news. Verse 40. Read the good news. If a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald, he is clean. Now that's good news, amen? I can get a bunch of amens here. And if, and if a man's hair falls out from his forehead, he has a baldness of the forehead, he is clean. I don't know what you do about that. It's not mentioned in the text. I'm hoping that I get in somehow on the clean part. So that's a great relief, isn't it? But the text goes on in the next verse to say, the bad news is, is that if that old bald head has a reddish white swelling on it, that looks, sounds nasty, doesn't it? Then he is unclean. Here's some really bad news in verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! 
unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He's unclean. And he shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So the ten lepers in our story are outcasts from their families and their communities. Like a homeless camp in the woods, they live together there in permanent uncleanness, away from everybody. And everywhere they go, they have to be constantly reminded by themselves of their own condition. Unclean, unclean, as they warn the people around them so that nobody will accidentally bump into them or, or touch them. They never get a hug. They never get loved on. They're just left alone. And, and they have to... Everywhere they go, they're dressed like outcasts. So, so everybody would immediately know. If they didn't hear the warning, they would see it. Because their hair would hang loose and they would be dressed like a bum. And dressed like a homeless person and give verbal warnings. So imagine for just a moment the shame that you would feel if this was you. The loneliness that you would experience and the uselessness that you would feel. You can't worship, and you're in a worshiping people. It's the primary thing you do. You can't work because you can't touch anything. You can't touch anybody because it would become unclean. Even homeless people in our culture can work. These people could not work. Can't be with others who are clean. You're, sometimes this would be permanent the rest of your life. It's essentially a death sentence. Very much like hearing from your doctor that you have stage four cancer and there's no cure. It's horrible. So in our passage in Luke, it's really short, but it specifically says that the lepers remain at a distance from Jesus. They can't come close even to the crowd that's around Christ and his, and, and his merry band. And they stand there at a distance and they cry out for mercy. And the good news is they get mercy from Christ. And that leads us to the second thing I wanted you to see this morning is that the solution is cleansing. The problem is leprosy. The solution is cleansing. What do you need if you're unclean? Well, you need to be clean. You need to be renewed and reintegrated into a worshiping status in the community of saints. Now, sometimes you can do that for yourself. It's simple. You just take a bath. You wait a day. Maybe you wait a week. You make an offering, a sin offering, a guilt offering, a burnt offering, and you can come back. But sometimes it's out of your control, like these 10 lepers, like the lady in the New Testament who had been bleeding for 12 years and spent all she had on doctors who couldn't cure. And so she reached out to Jesus in hopes that she'd be made clean. And, and she was, hallelujah. Or like the leper that's in Luke 5, here's that story, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. 
And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, in both of our stories about lepers, Jesus heals the leprosy. And in this story, he does the unthinkable and he touches the outcast. Isn't that good? And in our story in Luke 17, Jesus simply tells the 10 lepers to go to the priest. He never comes near them. He doesn't heal them. He just says, go and show yourself to the priest, which reminds us that there's no formulas for healing. Jesus does it different every time. I don't know how you can become a faith healer. There's just no formulas in the Bible about how to do it. The only formula is that Jesus has the power. And what I noticed in both stories is that he tells them to go to the priest. Did you see that? Now, what's that about? Well, that's about Leviticus 14. If all the uncleanness is in 13, the ceremony for cleansing is in 14. There are 32 detailed verses on ritual cleansing of a leprous person, and there's 24 detailed verses about getting leprosy and mold and yuck out of garments and even houses. Sometimes it's so bad you have to tear the house down and be the equivalent of black mold in our day. So I thought we'd read some of this. Leviticus 14. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall look. Then if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. And he shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them in the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. And then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who was to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp but he has to live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. Now notice, the priest doesn't have the power or ability to heal anybody. Only the authority to reintroduce the newly clean person back into the community. Now that, that right there, though, is a big deal. It's a huge deal to be brought back. Back to normal life, to worship to your family, to work, it would be 
amazing. And, and this is not a magic ritual. We're not going to go into the, all, all the details today, but a, it, it, it's a ritual full of the symbolism of death and then life. And, and you see, there's no cleansing without the shedding of blood. And the new life that comes to a clean leper is like the bird that is released out into the open field, free again. Imagine seeing that bird fly off and you know that you're finally, after being slaved to your disease, you're finally free. And then if we read some more, it would say this, on the eighth day, the renewed person offers the whole gambit of worship offerings. First a guilt offering, then a sin offering, and then a burnt offering, and then a grain offering, celebrating the fellowship of God and his people. And like Resurrection Sunday, it's on the eighth day. It's a new day and a new life for this leper. Here's what Leviticus 14.14 14 says. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Now that's weird, isn't it? This is the same thing that they do to the priests when they set them apart back in Leviticus 8 and 9. And what does it mean? Well, it's very simple. It symbolizes that you can hear the word of God, that you can do the work of God, and that you can walk in the ways of holiness. And so that only comes through the blood of the sacrifice, through the cleansing of the blood. It, it, it's so good that once you were set apart for loneliness and despair, and now you're back among the people of God, hearing the voice of God, doing the work of righteousness and walking together with God's people in the way of holiness. Can I get a hallelujah? Well, you're not very impressed, are you? So Jesus sends the 10 lepers to the priests and they are healed on the way. And they will begin this ceremony of eight days of reintegration into God's family. That is simply fantastic is it enough is it enough to be cleaned to be welcomed home to be brought back and the answer is no it's not enough the ten lepers need more than cleansing they need an eternal cure and that leads us to the third thing that I saw in this story and that is that the cure is Christ Jesus. The nine lepers now are Hebrews. Did you catch that in the story? Nine of them are Hebrews. One of them is a Samaritan. All of the nine Hebrews, all of the ten are unclean outsiders. But nine of them are religious outsiders and they know by birth that they belong to the community and all they really want, all they feel like they need from Jesus is to be cleansed 
so that they can go back to their normal life among God's people so they can go to church again, so they can sing again, so they can go home again, so that they can work again. That's what they want. That's what they need to get their old church life back. The one leper was never in that community to begin with. He's an outsider's outsider. And it ends up that he wants more. He wants Christ. Do you see that? Here's what it says in the passage, Luke 17, verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God, not like a Presbyterian, but with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. You see, religious people, people raised in the church, like many of us, people from the South, we all instinctively think that our problems are external, and if we could just fix them, then we'd be okay. That's how we respond all the time. And our prayer lives show it because we instinctively pray. What's the first thing we pray for? Oh, Lord, sanctify me through this process. Make my heart new. Give me more love for my neighbor and for Jesus through this trouble that I'm in. Is that how you pray? Or do you pray, oh, Lord, give me relief. And the sooner, the better. I need healing. I need relief. <coughs> and if it's up to us, We'll even change our habits to get better, won't we? We'll drink less. We'll quit smoking. That's what Christians do. We cuss less. I would say we quit cussing, but I know better. We cuss less. We commit to that. We'll read our Bibles more. We'll get up earlier for prayer. We'll give up something for Lent. Anybody giving up anything for Lent this time? None of you? Nobody's willing to raise their hand that you gave up something for Lent. <coughs> Joe Seiler will tell you that I'm always supposed to give up sarcasm for 40 days. That is incredibly difficult, let me tell you. <laughs> it's impossible, you think, Joe? Diet and exercise, save some money, give to the church, you name it, we'll do it. And if the problem is beyond our control, like an illness or a job layoff or an addiction or a grown child who's away from home and running amok, then we'll get our friends to pray so that the problem would be fixed because that's what we need. Listen, beloved, our problems, our sins, our uncleanness is not, are not primarily external. They're primarily internal. The Pharisees never understood this. In fact, they were offended because Jesus and his disciples didn't wash properly before they ate. Look at this, Mark 7, verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, 
Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. That's about the whole list, isn't it? All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And the problem, beloved, is that these things cannot be cleansed with a change of habits or, or a little band-aid of Bible study. The ki this kind of defilement is only cured by Jesus Christ. That's why we are called to repentance and to faith as a response to the gospel. Turning away from yourself and your endless self-improvements and turning to Jesus who saves and gives eternal life. That's what we need. And that's why Jesus told the parable of the unworthy servant right before this story. Turn back in your Bible to Luke 17 and verse 7. Here's that little parable. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to the servant, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have, and, and the answer obviously is what? No. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. You see, beloved, even when you've done, even when we've done our moral duty, the master isn't required to thank us. It's our duty to do those outward things like Bible reading and praying and saying kind words to your neighbor. That's the duty part. That's expected. Being externally moral and clean and righteous matters. Hear me say that. That's our duty. That's what we're supposed to do. The Bible and the prayer stuff and coming to church and giving on Sunday. But your duty... Your duty will not save you. It will not change your heart. It will not make the inside new. It's expected, but God doesn't give thanks for it. That's a little strange, isn't it? It actually hurts a little bit because we expect that duty to get rewarded and for everything to be okay. But you see, your duty has no power to give you the righteousness that God requires. Only Jesus can give you that righteousness. That's the gospel. We're actually set free from slavery to our duty and thinking that that'll give us thanksgiving in the gospel. 
The gospel is that the righteousness, the good news of the kingdom is that the righteousness that God requires is the righteousness that God provides in Christ Jesus. And the invitation to the feast is not given to the servant who does their duty, but to the one who's the recipient of grace. That's the only way. We're not invited to the table of faith because we've done our duty. He owes us no thanksgiving. Instead, beloved, he gives us something better. He gives us grace. He cleanses us from the inside out. Good trees bear good fruit. And Jesus is the one who remakes rotten trees so that we will bear good fruit. You see, the religious lepers believed that their greatest problem was external. It was the leprosy, the uncleanness, but it wasn't. It went way deeper than that. Listen, if you get cancer and the elders lay hands on you and pray for you and you're healed or the doctors heal you with chemotherapy, I'll be at the first one at the front of the line to give thanks to Jesus for your healing. And we'll call Joe Pollard together, and we'll set up a Friday evening worship service and invite the church and anybody else you want to invite, and we'll shout, and we'll sing with hands lifted up, and we'll respond like good Presbycostals because you've been healed and cleansed. We will celebrate. We'll even let you give a love offering to the building fund. How about that? But beloved, you'll still die. You're still going to die, even if you get healed. If not then, then another time. The ten clean lepers eventually died. Lazarus, who was raised from the dead in John 11, eventually died again. You will still die. What we need is eternal life. And that's what the Samaritan leper found in our story. And that's why he turned back. He was cleansed and saved on the way to the priest. Jesus says so in the last verse. Your faith has saved you. So he turned back because he was captivated by the presence and the power and the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, each of us needs cleansing from the inside out by the cleansing blood of Christ. And we need the righteousness of Christ's holy life on our behalf to be acceptable and clean in heavenly places so that he'll give that cleansing to us so that we get his clean life. And we need new hearts and new lives and a savior who never tires of our neediness because we need it every day. Nobody needs the gospel more than I do. And on no day do I need the gospel more than I need it today. Now, here's the bad news. The bad news is, is that if you're religious and you're satisfied with an external cleansing, with a change of habits and a more moral life than you have now, then that's what you'll get from Jesus. You'll be a good church member and a good employee and a good neighbor, but you'll miss the best part, a loving relationship with the living God. 
even though you think of yourself as an insider, you'll still be stuck on the outside. You'll have done your duty, but you won't join the feast. Jesus said the Pharisees were like whitewashed tombs. Imagine that picture. Clean on the outside, doing their duty, but inside they were full of dead men's bones, like a sarcophagus. And if you're not so righteous this morning, and you're wondering what's the big deal about a moral life, and you're happy to be an outsider, and you're even proud that you're not like these Christian folks that go to church and and are really just hypocrites, then, then I'm afraid you too will miss the best part. Because unlike the Samaritan, you're not going to turn back and fall on your face at the feet of Jesus and find eternal life. You'll be judged then by your own secret judgments of others. Your own standard will be used against you and you too will be left outside. But there is good news, beloved. It's an incredible good news. The good news is that Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. Jesus died on a cross for our sins, even the sin of being satisfied only with outward change. And he rose from the dead to give us eternal life with a new heart and a new desire for a holy life lived in thanksgiving and submission to God for our spiritual cleansing. And so I invite all of you this morning to ask Jesus today for this gift of life and, and renewal. Like the right ear and the right thumb and the right toe. So that you can hear the word of God and do the work of Christ and you will walk in the way of Christ. It's so good. So I invite you today. You know, Sherry and I have been married 41 years. She doesn't feel good this morning, so she's not here. But we've been married 41 years. We were 13 when we got married. <laughs> and, and we have five kids, five grown kids. We have 13 grandkids. We've had five dogs, two cats, two birds, and two gerbils. And the last cat died during, snow, during COVID. She was a black cat that Leisha named Snowflake. <laughs> and she was 16, and I miss her. We have an empty house, and we sometimes talk about getting a pet. But you know, they're so needy, aren't they? Especially dogs. Dogs drive me crazy. They're so needy. And I just don't have time for neediness. I, I have too much traveling to do and too much work still to do. Pets are for kids and little old ladies. Beloved, I'm so glad that Jesus is not like me. He has all the time in the world for neediness. And I'm needy. Not modern American snowflake needy, being unsatisfied unless I have a fine house or a new car or health insurance and a life of comfort. Beloved, that's not enough. It's not enough. That's not what I need. I need Jesus. I need a righteous Savior who will love me with passionate, saving love. I need a 
heart that is captivated by the love of Christ and his grace, and that is bold to turn in thanksgiving as he does good to me. I need his gospel power working in my life so that I will listen to his word and do his work and walk in his holy ways and enjoy the communion of prayer by myself and with the saints. I'm so needy. And you know what? Jesus never tires of my neediness or turns me away. In fact, he invites it. And that, my friends, is the glorious grace of the gospel. Let's stand for prayer. Like needy kids, let's raise our hands in prayer together. Come on, raise your hands with me. Our Father, we come to you as needy children this morning knowing that we can be good church members apart from you, but we can't walk in the ways of our Savior without you. And so we pray that you would renew our hearts this morning. For those who have followed you and are tired, Lord, would you renew our strength? And Father, for those of us who have walked in profession of you but never really known you, would you give us a new life today as religious people, like the Samaritan that turned back? And for those, Father, who have never known you, would today be the day of salvation when we recognize our neediness of Christ before all things? Would you fill us with your spirit, captivate us with the love of Christ, and give us gospel power so that we would hear your word, obey your will, and walk in your ways? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.